Welcome to the Nashville Vineyard Podcast. For more information, please check us out at www.nashvillevineyard.org. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you have a great day. We're in a series that began before, uh, before the, the year, uh, actually began last fall. We're walking through the book of Acts, and uh, we're just taking our time, and uh, it's probably going to last through around June or so, and we're just going sort of chapter by chapter, looking at the book of Acts, and believing that it's not only relevant for us today, uh, it's not only historical, uh, but it is, it's applicable. And so what we're, what we're saying is that Acts... The book of Acts is a field guide for us uh, as we're moving uh, through our journey through faith and through our journey as, as a family of faith, and we continue to press forward. We want to look at the book of Acts that gives us signposts, that gives us directions on, on how do we live as believers. And, and we all, at one point or another, say, boy, we wish it was just like the early church. And honestly, yeah, we do, but not all of, like, you know, getting killed and all of that sort of stuff. We're hopefully that stays away, but we're looking at the book of Acts and saying that, you know, Lord, would you help us to be uh, a people that could, could be written about just like the people in Acts? And we're holding it up as a mirror to say, does, does this look like my life? Does this look like uh, the path that I'm on? Would, would I be able to fit in amongst this group of believers? Because if we can't, then the question has to begin, what's wrong? What do we need to change? Because they're set up as a, as a model, as a guidepost, as a field guide, and so we need to conform our lives to the scriptures instead of having the scriptures conform to our lives. And so we're looking at that. We're letting Acts read us. And so uh, we've made our way all the way to, to chapter 12, and, and things are beginning to, to shift within the story of Acts. And, and just quickly, what's, what's happening so far is that it began with uh, a pickoff of, of Luke, uh, because Luke actually wrote Acts as well. And so Acts is part two of Luke's series on uh, the gospel of Luke. And, and it begins with Jesus. He is ascending. He's, he's commissioning. He's commanding, telling everyone to go and to, to do what, what he did, and then to wait in the upper room for uh, the Holy Spirit who's going to come. And uh, and so the Holy Spirit comes and it drives the, uh, the, the people waiting in the upper room out into the streets. And we begin to have Peter uh, becoming an evangelist. And so we see in chapter 2 and in chapter 3 how the church is growing, how it's exploding. And people are beginning to understand what Jesus was saying when he was around, beginning to understand what was happening uh, with, with the Messiah as he comes. Then we see the formation of the church. We see uh, putting together um, sort of a function of, of a church with uh, elders and deacons. And we begin to see continuing the, the, the work going forward and going out. Uh, we see how the Lord is redeeming. Uh, Sarah spoke a couple weeks ago how uh, through, through the stories uh, in Acts chapter 10 and Acts chapter 11, we get a, a glimpse of the Lord continuing his promise to bring everything under restoration. And so he's redeeming the, the fallen lines 
uh, and, and restoring the promises even to those that he made all the way back in Noah and how that the Lord will continue to honor his promise and he will continue to bring restoration to all things. And so we make our way now to chapter 12. And in chapter 12, there's, there's so much that goes on throughout this chapter. And so as we were leaning into that and studying and praying it and beginning to, to look into, you know, what are you wanting to say uh, through this uh, to us today? How, how are you wanting to speak uh, to us? Uh, we, we really felt like the Lord was was moving and leaning into the idea of, of worldviews, of how do we see the world? Because what we want to do is we want to have the same sort of a worldview uh, as the early Christians and the believers had. And so they saw the world a particular way. So when I say worldview, what I'm meaning is there, we all have a lens in which we view the events that happen around us. We, we have a lens that, that we see through uh, a paradigm that we're looking through that begins to outline uh, what, we're, what we're seeing. And so we're interpreting data and information through this worldview, through this lens. And oftentimes, uh, this worldview is in existence really without us even understanding or knowing uh, what it is. It's kind of like an operating system that's just sort of running in the background of our minds. We're not always aware of how we're viewing the world, and we're not always aware of how we're not viewing the world. And so, so often we'll, be, we'll begin to, to miss the things that the Lord is doing because we're expecting him to move and to do things in a, in a particular way. We're expecting him to speak in a particular way. We're expecting uh, the world to work in a particular way. And if it's not the way that the Lord is speaking and moving and working, we'll, we'll probably miss it because we know that you inspect what you expect. And so what we're expecting is what we're looking for. And so what we have to do, we have to be careful. We want to begin to see the world the way the early believers saw the world. And so through this chapter of chapter 12, we, we can get a picture and a glimpse uh, of the different ways that the church was able to, to view the world and the things that were happening around them. And I think it's, it's going to probably challenge all of our worldviews and all of the ways that, that we see things because Really, we, we like to, to think in binary terms. We like to think in either-or terms. Either it's good or it's bad, or either it's right or it's wrong, or either it, this happened or it didn't happen. But what we're, I think, going to learn is that the Lord is, is more of a both-and and, and all of the above. And, and he's doing things, and the Spirit is doing things, and he's active in ways that we may not be looking for, that we may not be expecting. And if we want to be a people that live like the people in Acts, that, that see the power of God come like the people in Acts, that see uh, the gospel spread like wildfire like the people of Acts, then we're, we're going to have to also begin to think like them and to see the world the way that they did. And so we're going to be seeing how they, they saw the world through this chapter. Before we get started in, into, the, uh, into the text, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's an, it doesn't change. We thank you that it's true. We thank you that not one mark is wasted. Not one word is wasted. That it's the standard. So Holy Spirit, we ask that you come. That you move among us. That you 
enlighten us, that you give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to receive what it is that you have for us today. And Jesus, we just declare this is your church. Would you be in charge? We thank you. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. So the very first bit of Acts chapter 12, there's, there's so much that happens. It starts off uh, with, it's, it just really quickly talks about James, talks about Peter, uh, it talks about uh, this crazy interaction with the believers and Peter, it talks about Herod. I mean, there's just a tremendous amount that happens in chapter 12 that we're going to, to break down and take a look at. And so if you want to turn, we'll, we'll have it on the screen. We're going to start with Acts uh, 12.1. Uh, verses uh, one through four here. And it says this, it was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this met with the approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So I'd like for us just to think about what this, what this would have looked like to, to the group of believers. An, an incredible thing has continued to happen. Uh, the Holy Spirit has continued to move in power. Uh, they're seeing incredible signs and wonders and miracles and great miracles and greater miracles and all of these things are happening. And then all of a sudden, James is put to death. James, the brother of John, is murdered. And so this has to in some way challenge uh, this idea that when, when you follow Jesus, everything is always going to be great. And, and so they're, they're looking at this idea of James being put to death, and I believe it's challenging uh, a worldview that could be creeping into their paradigm, because if you begin to see the Lord moving in great power, if you begin to see people being healed, if you get, begin to see people being delivered, then what can happen is you, you can begin to, to equate the Lord's favor and his goodness with success. You can, you can begin to equate the goodness of God uh, with a, an easy and comfortable life. And you can begin to equate the favor of God with money, with wealth, with, with uh, power, uh, with achieving the right political uh, power at the right moment, you, you can begin to see how people will, will lean into that because honestly, no one wants to be put to death by a sword. And so we don't really hope that happens. And we're hoping that, that the, all of the good stuff continues. But here we have right in the middle of this, right in the very beginning, we have one of the apostles being put to death. And then the other one, the, the one that it's supposed to be built upon, the rock, is put into prison and, and we'll be facing the same sentence very shortly. This is a challenge to this group of believers who have seen incredible wonders of God. And it should be a challenge to us as we've continued to see the Lord move and continue to believe for more of what the Lord wants to do and continue to, to reach into what he's doing. And we continue to hear stories upon stories of people being healed and people being delivered and, and good things happening. What can tend to happen then is that we begin to believe that because Jesus is with us, we equate that to 
a Western paradigm of success and favor and riches and, and wealth, health and wealth. Jesus doesn't want you to suffer. He doesn't want you to have any hard time. He doesn't want you to, to feel anything bad. And so because of that, then, what people can fall into the trap of doing is then saying, okay, well, then we should never experience any sort of hard times. And if we are, then it's got to be something wrong with us. But here we have this other picture. Apparently, James uh, was still doing the work of the Lord. Apparently, he was still preaching the gospel. He, he, it doesn't mention anything about him being in sin. It doesn't mention anything about him not having enough faith. It doesn't mention anything about that. And yet here he is, one, one of the main folks, he's put to death by a sword. And the church sees this because we're, we're reading this and, and they're seeing it and they're not trying to explain it away. They're just understanding that even though things are happening and even though the Lord's spirit is being poured out upon the earth and and even though all of these things are going on, we're still in this in-between moment. Jesus hasn't returned yet. He hasn't fully put the world back in order. In, in vineyard terms, we, we call this the, the in-between time. We're, we're in this moment now, and we're waiting for the thing that hasn't happened yet. We're waiting for the fullness of Christ to return. And so we're reaching and we're struggling and, and we're caught in between because sometimes you'll pray for people and you'll see the Lord move in power and people will be healed dramatically and sometimes you'll pray for people and they'll die. And if, if we're not under, understanding how we're viewing life, then, then that can begin to knock us off kilter. Because I promise you that the more that you start to step out, and begin to share your faith, begin to believe for healing, begin to pray for stuff, the more you're going to be met with stories that don't have a happy ending all the time. It's just the way it works. And so when you begin to do that, and you begin to, to pray for someone, and, and they get sicker, or you begin to believe for, for a financial breakthrough, and, and it doesn't quite happen, then, then what you're in danger of doing is, is doing one of two things. You can either give up, and, and, and just put that back and say, okay, well, I'm, I'm done with that. Or you can internalize it or you can project. You can blame the person receiving prayer. You can blame the situation. You can blame yourself. But you can, you can begin to come up with excuses because what we're always trying to do is understand how God is acting. And, and what we continually read in the, in the scriptures is that he surpasses our understanding. He's bigger than our understanding. And so as we're trying to, to understand what we're seeing and what we're dialoguing with, we run the risk of being either or. But again, we see in the scriptures that the, the early church just said, well, sometimes you win and sometimes you lose. But what they did next, I think, is very telling because what, what they did next is, so, so here's Peter awaiting the same faith, and we pick back up in verse 5, and it says, So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. So they experienced this great loss. I believe they were praying for James. I, I believe when James was taken, the church was earnestly praying for James. And yet, we see that he was murdered. 
And so here they are, even in the midst of that. I mean, like immediately following that, they're continuing to press in uh, to believe for more. To believe that we're not sure what happened with James. We, we don't understand why he, he was killed. We're believing that God is good, and we're just going to continue to press in and, and to push forward and, and to continue to contend for Peter. And if I think about this in my own life, almost every time I experience a loss in the spirit, if I, almost every time that I, I experience a, a loss of people, of circumstances, I'm almost immediately faced with a Peter scenario where immediately I'm challenged again. And always I want to quit. Because the James scenario is so painful. You see, the church didn't gloss over what happened with James. They didn't try to, to make it sound better than it was. He was murdered, and it was terrible. And as believers, we need to be able to receive bad news as well as we do good news. We don't need to, to be the people that refuse to call something what it is because they believe in some sort of spiritual karma that will backfire on them. I don't know if you've ever been around anyone and you're feeling sick and you say, I'm not feeling good. And they'll say, don't, don't say that. Say you're feeling great. Well, then you're just lying. We want to be a people that while we're stretching for the miraculous inbreaking of God, we're, we're calling it like it is. We're being authentic, and we're not trying to fake it till we make it. That's not how the kingdom breaks in. The kingdom breaks in because the kingdom breaks in. God is sovereign, and he will do what he pleases to do. And it's our job to continue to contend, to continue to press in. And so they have him here, and Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. And suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up, and he said, Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. And then the angel said to him, Put on your clothes and sandals, and Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of prison, but he had no idea what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. And so we have the church that's praying. And they're praying right after a loss, but they're still praying with, with an expectation that God will actually come through. And what I, I want to challenge us with today is that we continue to keep a posture of expectation. That we continue to believe that God is going to press through even when we experience what seems to be the opposite. Oftentimes, what you'll, what you'll find you'll, yourself doing is you'll be in a position where you need to hear from the Lord. You, you need a touch from the Lord. And it'll be as though you, you've never felt a more drier moment in your life. There, there will be a, a period that comes of, of desert and of silence. And what happens to so many people is, is that they, they quit expecting. 
They've had expectations and they've been dashed and they've had hope that has been deferred and, and it's made their hearts sick and so they, they give up trying. They give up believing. They give up hoping. And the church could have done that. They could have resigned and began to pray for Peter's loved ones. Let's pray for Peter's family, for what he's about to go through. Let's pray uh, for peace. Let's pray that he has little pain. But instead, they contended for Peter's release. Even in the face of a, of a loss that just happened, they're contending and they're expecting power. And as we pray for things, we, we need to be a people that pray expectant prayers. That pray for the inbreaking power of God, the finger of God to be stretched forth and to move to answer prayer. This is how we're called to pray. And as we're faced with trials, as, as we're faced with situations, honestly, what we tend to do if we've experienced a loss is that we, we tend to sort of flower our prayers and to lessen our expectations so that we're not disappointed again. We, get, we let God off the hook a bit. We don't want to expect too much or believe too much from him. And so instead of praying for a miracle, we pray for wisdom for the doctors. And we give up on praying for miracles. Because it just seems like all we do is get disappointed. But this isn't the paradigm that the church had. They experienced the loss. They called it what it was. But they continued to believe for more. Because the kingdom is here and it's still coming. And if the kingdom is still coming, then that means that just technically there's more kingdom here than there was yesterday. Because it's a continuous coming of the kingdom until it climaxes in a fulfillment and Jesus returns. And so it's not so much that it's now and it's way far off, it's now and there's still more. And so as we lean into this as a people, we need to be a people that's always expecting more of the kingdom and not less. Because technically, if the kingdom is still coming, then there's more today here than there was yesterday. There's more reason for hope. There's more reason for opportunity. There's more reason to believe. And if we want to be a people of God that look like the people of Acts, we have to continue to contend. Continue to expect. And you're going to feel stupid. It's going to seem kind of crazy at times. Your hope is going to be a bit audacious, almost offensive. Because you're going to approach every problem with the expectation that God's going to come through. He just is. And for most people, that's annoying. For most people, they get very annoyed. I've been annoyed. Because... It's just, they don't want to be disappointed again. Why are you so hopeful? What's wrong with you? But our, our grounding should be, and our, our hope is in, is in Jesus. And that makes a really good pillow for something to be crocheted on. Our hope is in Christ. But when the rubber meets the road, it becomes difficult to look at the family member 
to look at the friend and say, I know that's what the doctor just said. I'm still going to believe for a miracle. I'm going to mourn with you. I'm going to weep with you. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. But I'm still going to contend. And there's going to be other people in the room that would say, look, we don't need that. They don't need to be let down. That's not what they need. And so you can be sensitive to that and not be annoying on purpose. But being a people of hope is just going to be annoying. Because you're going to be confronted with situations over and over again that you're going to be the only person carrying the hope. The hope of Christ. That he can actually break. That even though the doctors said you shouldn't go through cancer treatment, it's too far gone, we still believe in miracles. We still believe that the Lord can do something and that the Lord can intervene. This is why testimonies are so powerful. This is why we try to share them as much as we can because it reminds us that, oh yeah, that's right. We do serve a God that's living and breathing and active, that cares about these situations. And so the church is praying and they're praying expectantly. And then we see this interesting thing. So they have an expectant worldview. They're always expecting God to break in, but they don't sugarcoat what's happening around them. They, they, they're able to, to deal with loss. And as a, as a people of God, honestly, as charismatics, we don't do well with loss and defeat. We just don't have a good language for it. We're not good at weeping with those that weep and mourning with those that mourn. The church could. The church in Acts could sit with someone in their grief and their loss and not have to sugarcoat it. So they have this one view. They're able to take it in. They're able to, to withstand against loss. And then they're able to continue to press in in the face of loss with expectancy. But then this is really interesting, this next little part. It's really easy to look over. And, and oftentimes, honestly, our Western worldview sort of helps us to just gloss right over this point. But this is, this is really fascinating. So then in verse 12, we pick up, and it says this. It says, uh, when this had dawned on him, when he had dawned on him, that it's not a vision, this is Peter again. It says, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. They said, you're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it just must be his angel. So think about that for a minute. Apparently, it was more likely that they were going to encounter Peter's angel than Peter actually being freed from prison. Apparently, Peter had an angel. Apparently, the angel looked like him. And apparently they'd seen it before so often that it was like, that's just his angel. That's not Peter. What kind of world were they living in? I mean, can you imagine what kind of a world? How they were viewing the world that it was more likely that they were encountering the supernatural than they were encountering the natural? This was their paradigm. This was their worldview. And we're the opposite. It's far more likely in our worldview, in our mind, that we're encountering the natural than anything supernatural. And if anything supernatural begins to happen, then we discount it and we try to find a, a reason that we can explain it away so, so that it is actually a natural explanation. They're the opposite. They're, they're explaining away a natural occurrence with a supernatural worldview. 
complete reversal of what we are in the West. Do you get that? Their expectation was more in the miraculous than in the natural. And so I think they were actually experiencing more of the supernatural than in the natural because what you expect, you inspect. And what you seek, you'll find. What you make room for in your life, what you make room for in your worldview, you'll begin to encounter. And so these were people that were expecting a supernatural inbreaking of the power and, and, and the spirit realm. This is how they lived their life. They were able to take in loss and see it for what it is, even though they way more expected a supernatural occurrence than a natural occurrence. This, this should be our view. We should be a people that are expecting to see something miraculous, something supernatural. We should be putting more weight in the eternal than the temporal. So the eternal realm is eternal. The spirit realm, the angels, heaven, God, always has, always will. That should have more weight in our minds than this world, which is going away. Than our bodies, which are in a state of constant death. We actually are currently dying right now. I don't know if you know that or not. Happy Sunday. We're just taking a longer time. But they viewed the world expecting God to show up literally. And you have to believe that that changes things. I'm not, I don't know if you've ever gone on a cross-cultural mission trip to uh, a culture that, that believes more in the supernatural, that actually believes they'll have witch doctors, they'll have um, all of these things that are happening around them. What you'll find is you'll experience a lot more of the supernatural on those mission trips than you do here. Why? There's a climate of expectation that just, there's no questioning. You know, a double-minded person, it's, it's hard. That's what the scripture tells us. On the one hand, we're believing this story of the Messiah, of God creating the earth and of him coming in as a person and, and, and doing all of these miracles and then dying and rising again. And somehow we have this cognitive dissonance in our brains that say, okay, I can buy that, but I can't buy the fact that I could possibly see one of his angels right now. That's got to be too much. It's all too much. It's all crazy. But we don't, we just, we create this, this dissonance between us, and so we become a people that don't expect anything from God. We don't believe that he's going to show up. And so when he shows up, we miss it. I don't know if you ever spent time around people that believe they see things. They see things all the time. We, we had a conference this past weekend, and we, and we had, we, it was a seer prophetic conference led by seer prophets. And just, you know, they're strange people, seer prophets, because they're, they're always seeing and prophesying things and, and talking about things that you just don't even understand. And so oftentimes they would stop and be like, there's the angel. 
And I'm just like looking and I see nothing. But they're constantly expecting to see this incredible inbreaking because it's in the book. It's in, it's in the scriptures. They believed that Peter's angel was more likely than Peter. Why don't we believe those things? Why do we ration things out? Oftentimes it's a reaction from things that happen like James. And, and we're not perfect, and so some people will sensationalize things, and some people will lie about things, and it's easy to say there's an angel when no one can see it, and, you know, that's easy. But abuse is never answered with neglect. Like, we've talked about that. Like, you don't heal abuse by neglecting someone that you've abused. So if there's abuses in the church, if there's abuses in power, to just completely distance ourselves and to not talk about them, that's not how you get past that. We have to embrace it with health, and we have to try and find a healthy way back into this biblical paradigm, this way to see the world that allows room for God to break in. And real quick, a great way to begin to do that is just to begin to pray, Lord, would you open my eyes? Would you open my eyes? Would you let me see? I want to see you. I want, to, I want to see what you're doing. Those aren't selfish prayers. Those are biblical prayers. Would you open our eyes? So many times we get dreams, we see things, miraculous things happen, and we just discount them and discount them and discount them. And all throughout the scriptures, there Jesus is teaching about the parables. You know what he's teaching about? He's teaching about the kingdom. And oftentimes he's teaching about how do you steward the kingdom? And if you begin to, to value God speaking to you, if you begin to value God's movement and interaction in your life just a little bit, and, and let's say that you're, you're having dreams, and so you say, well, maybe, maybe he could speak to me through dreams, and so I'll tell you what, I'll just start writing them down. And what's going to begin to happen is you're going to be having more dreams, and they're going to become clearer. And, and before you know it, your, your dream life is going to be activated. We, we talked about dreams before Christmas. Who's having more dreams? Just raise your hands. Right. All we did was say, just pay attention. And what do you know? Dreams start happening. All throughout the Gospels, Jesus is teaching parables about stewarding the supernatural. Stewarding the kingdom, holding it and saying and valuing it. And you'll begin to see it increase. And this is a season. I think that he's, he's offering a lot of grace for us to kind of accelerate in our ability to see him breaking in. So, I would just challenge you, sometime during this week, just begin to ask the Lord to open your eyes. Begin to ask the Lord to let you see things. Don't discount your fleeting thoughts. Don't discount what you think you're imagining. Don't discount those sort of things. Pay attention. Ask the Lord, say, was that you? That felt funny. I think it's me, but is it you? And begin to watch it grow because you're stewarding what he's given you. The last thing that, that happens, and, and this is really interesting, in verse uh, 21, uh, it, was, it was Peter, it wasn't his angel, by the way. We're skipping down. Uh, Peter, Peter got free. Maybe his angel was there, maybe not, I don't know. 
On the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robes, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. They shouted, this is the voice of a God, not of a man. Immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down, and he was eaten by worms and died. Now, this is, this is how they're writing about this event that happened in Scripture. And so the people that are writing this are saying, here's what happened to Herod. And so their paradigm not only allowed for the goodness of God to, to be shown in Peter's rescue, the expectation of God, it also allowed for this sticky thing called the judgment of God. And somehow they were able to hold those two things in tension. God is really good. He's for us. He's personal. He, he, he's full of grace. Jesus is full of grace. They're able to hold that intention with a God that apparently brings judgment and strikes down a king for taking credit for God's work. He didn't kill Herod for killing James. They're not trying to explain that away. We don't know why. Why didn't he just kill him for killing James? It was this other thing, and God kills him. How often do we try to explain things like that away? I mean, if this was in our day and time, Herod came down with this fluke illness, and all of a sudden, boom, he's just taken out. It's crazy. Who would have thought that would happen? He had the best medical teams around him, uh, the, the best food, the best care. All of a sudden, he just dies. Boy, life's crazy. Let's move on. But the believers in Acts actually had a, a paradigm available where they saw this and said, that's the judgment of God. The judgment of God that struck down a wicked king. Not for what I would have struck him down for. For something else. And this is post-cross, by the way. Like, this is, this is New Covenant territory. And they're still believing that God is a righteous judge. That he's not just full of grace and love, but he's also full of justice and righteousness. They're holding those two paradigms, which are in tension with each other, but they weren't letting either one of them go. God is good. He's gracious. He loves you more than you can imagine. He's long-suffering. He also demands righteousness and holiness. And at some point, he begins to enact his judgments. And they're holding both of those things in tension. And I think you know that we like to let one of those go. Whichever one's more convenient at the time. When we're mad, let's bring the justice of God back. Let's get it on. Let's see something. When people are allowed to continue to be evil and wicked, do you know there's, I mean, there is legit evil and wickedness running rampant out there. You know that? I mean, for real. Dark evil. People are, are doing terrible things. And we see those, and honestly, most of the time my question is like, God, how long? How long are you going to allow this to go on? But sometimes he will bring his judgment. But he's so slow to anger that it takes way longer than we want it to. We would have wanted Herod dead at James. I would have. 
a lot of modern Christians would have tried to kill Herod because of James. Or at least ask the Lord to kill him. But he's so slow to anger that it's all the way at the end of the chapter. And it's for something else. That to us isn't a big deal. Not, not nearly as big of a deal as James being murdered. But to God it seems to be a bigger deal. You don't take his glory. That's reserved for him. And so we have this holiness aspect of God that honestly people don't know what to do with. They'll either like elevate it and say, because God is holy, you can't wear makeup and you can't go to movies and you have to wear blue jean skirts and do stuff like that. Put your hair in a bun. And that's probably not what he means by holiness. But then you have the other side that says, well, God is so gracious. I mean, there's nothing you can really do. There's, there's, there's no reason that to, you have to stop sinning. There's no real reason that you have to repent for anything. He's just great and kind, and he's just like a big Santa Claus. And you can just curl up in his lap and call him puppy and all of that sort of stuff. And it's like, yeah, until he's not. And so you need to just be very careful because God is very holy, and you do not approach his throne lightly. And so we, we have to hold both of these things in tension. And essentially, it's these two theological truths, that God is absolutely sovereign. He's, he's completely in charge, completely in control. Nothing is outside of his grasp. Nothing is too big for him. We see these in scriptures. We, we, we can see Psalms uh, 103, 19. It says, The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. Psalms 107. Well, we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, so so there's, there's plenty of Bible that say how sovereign God is. He's in control. And there's plenty of Bible that say how good he is. He's very good. Psalm uh, 107 says, Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Mark 10, 18. And this is a really interesting, this could, we could spend weeks on this. Jesus says, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Which is pretty interesting because right now we believe people are genuinely good and all of that sort of stuff. But Jesus is clearly stating no one is good but God alone. And so we have these two things in their intention, and, and we're, we're holding on to both of those, the goodness of God and the sovereignty of God. God's in control. Somehow things are happening. Somehow all of this stuff is going on, but he's also very good. And so we press into that goodness, and we, and we pray for God's goodness to inbreak and, and, to, and to come into to bear. But we can't let go of the sovereignty of God, that he's in control, and he's righteous, and he is a judge, and he, he's holy, and he demands our best, and he demands... Righteousness. We, we, we can't let go of either of those two things because they, they didn't let go of either of those two things. It has to be the paradigm that we live in. We have to, we have to press into that. I, we have a friend uh, from, from a long time ago, and you know, social media lets you stay really current with your friends that you had 15 years ago. And so this is a friend from like 15 years ago, kind of an acquaintance, but because of social media, we still know what they had for, for lunch yesterday, which is weird. But they have uh, this little girl, and she's four. 
she's four years old, and uh, she, she has this really rare disease that uh, is, I think it's called early childhood Alzheimer's, I think. But essentially, the, the little girl came down with like Alzheimer's at two and is forgetting everything at this point. And they, they've tried you know, all kinds of treatments, uh, experimental treatments and all that sort of thing, and, and it's just not working. It's not where she doesn't remember her parents. She doesn't remember uh, anything. It's just incredibly tragic, terrible story. Uh, they're believers. Uh, they're praying. And, uh, and so they have, like, these posts, and they, they do the updates. And so they put this post uh, this week, and they were updating everybody, and they were saying, you know, we did these experimental treatments. It's not working. In fact, it's, like, accelerating. And, you know, the doctors are pretty much saying, just brace yourself. Uh, it's going to get really bad. And it's just tragic, and, and the mom's being very honest and how she's feeling. And so the, the girl has actually forgotten almost everything except these two songs. She, she, she still has these two songs, and so she'll just walk around the house. She doesn't remember her mom, uh, doesn't, doesn't remember a lot of things, but she has these two songs in her head. And the first song is, uh, My God is so big, so strong and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do. And the second song is, Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. And to me, it's a picture for us of what we have to hang on to. Because we're going we're gonna to face trials. We're going to have prayers that are unanswered. We're going to experience loss and hardship. And when that happens, we have to remember that God is so big. He's so strong. He's so mighty. There's nothing he can't do. And then I know that he loves me. Even though, even though I'm dying, even though this little girl is, is, is looking at like a hellacious life, there's two truths that she's holding in tension. That God is big. He's bigger than any circumstance. And he loves me personally. So much so that he sent his only son into the world. Not to condemn the world, but to save the world. This is the paradigm of believers in Acts. We're, we're going to see an increase in, in the miraculous. We're just going to see it. But we're going to experience loss in the middle of that. Because what happens is, is that when, when people start hearing that, that God is doing things, desperate people start flocking in desperate need of God to do things. And so just the ratios will increase and we'll experience loss. And we have to remember that he loves us and he's bigger than this. It's the only way that we have peace it has to surpass our understanding. So we have to release our, our right to be right, our right to understand, and just say, you're big and you love me, and I'm going to trust in those two things, and so can I have some peace? We have to fight the urge to figure it out. We just have to trust him. The goal is intimacy with the Father, but you can't have intimacy if there's no trust. So you have to trust him. And that's kind of a choice. 
you choose to trust him. So here's how we're going to end. If you could stand. We're going to have a time uh, for prayer up front. And so if you need prayer for anything, uh, feel free to come forward in just a moment. We'll, we'll have people that will come, come around and pray for you, uh, for healing, uh, for, for anything. Um, but for right now, I believe one of the things that we need to do is just sort of recommit to the Lord that we're just going to choose to trust. We're going to choose to trust even though we don't understand how it works. Even though we don't, we don't really get why this is happening right now. Even though an answer for, for why you're going through what you're going through hasn't come through yet. Or maybe you've got an answer and it's just not good enough. It's a bad answer. But if the goal is intimacy with the Father, intimacy is only attained through trust, and so we're going to have to just choose to trust him, okay? Childlike faith. That's what the scriptures talk about, childlike faith. So if you could, if we bow our heads. Father, we're taking this moment to just say to you that we're choosing to trust you. even though we don't understand what you're doing. Even though we're facing loss, we're facing disappointment, we're choosing to trust. We're choosing to let you be in control. We give up our right to be right. We give up our right to understand. And we say that you're king over our lives. So we're just gonna we're just gonna begin to worship just a little bit and begin to ask the Holy Spirit to search you and to search those places that you're still demanding an answer. You you still have to have an answer for this. And he's gonna bring those things to mind. And it's going to be painful. And, and it may take follow-up. And so it may take sitting with someone and, and getting prayer for, for a few times. It may take some inner healing. It may take some deliverance. It may take all kinds of stuff. But right now, we're just going to give him our yes to this. We're going to say, okay, we're going to just choose to trust you in this part too. So Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you search our hearts? Would you bring to mind all of those places in our lives that we don't trust you yet. And in faith, we just say that we will trust you in those. For all upcoming events and more information about the Nashville Vineyard Church, please check us out at www.nashvillevineyard.org. Thank you again for listening, and we hope you have a great day.